And tonight we are in Psalm 7. You know, and I was reading through this psalm, and I'll tell you, there's, there's so much when you get into these. Uh, a lot of times, I, I, I think I, I'm guilty of this too. When we read our Bible and study our Bible, I feel like what many times we do as Christians are, you, you familiar with the phrase, just scratching the surface? That's kind of the way we are a lot of times with our Bibles. And, uh, you know, I, I just have really been living in these psalms, and they've been such a blessing to me. And again, tonight, this psalm you'll see is divided into three sections. And we see this as a psalm of David, but many times I've heard people, uh, preachers, commentaries, other things, refer to David as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Have you heard that? The sweet psalmist. And then I look at a psalm like tonight, and I think to myself, how can David remain so sweet when he had such uh, judgment and so many enemies against him? And I thought to myself, the only way that's possible is the Lord. That's the only way that's possible. And so I want you to look at this psalm tonight, Psalm number seven, and let's read this psalm together as we get started. The Bible says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, Yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy perse uh, persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust, Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people Compass thee about for their sakes, therefore re return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. Anybody say amen to that? Yeah. But establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Now, when you look at that psalm, boy, there's a lot of stuff there tonight. But again, just from the title, the header, 
of this psalm. It is, again, one of those, we looked at a couple psalms where David was kind of on the run from his son Absalom. Many believe that this particular psalm is one during David's days wandering as a fugitive. It comes from this word which literally means to roar, to roar. Uh, It points to a time where David, like many of us in our lives, David was under the influence of very strong emotion. And it's easy for us sometimes when, when either things or life or circumstances or people are against us. By nature, we as human beings can be very emotional. And people handle their emotions differently. Uh, some people get angry. Some people uh, actually just remain very light and jovial about it. Some people cry. Other people do, do not shed a tear. But David was under this influence, a very strong emotion. And the Bible mentions, if you look in the header there, it says, Shigayon of David, which he sang unto the Lord. Notice this concerning the words of Cush the Benjaminite. Cush the Benjaminite. Now, this reference here to Cush the Benjaminite, the truth is, as best I could tell, there was no certainty on who this Cush the Benjaminite really is. Some believed that it was actually, and they get this because of not only this psalm, but so many other places in the Old Testament where it seemed like that one of David's really things he was struggling with in his life was King Saul himself. And a lot of people believe that this reference of Cush the Benjaminite is really a poetic name for King Saul himself. But no matter if it was King Saul or whoever it was, it's true as you look at this that Someone was against David. Somebody was uh, really after David. And, and, and what David is writing here in Psalm 7 is, and, and, and I think this maybe will help you as you look at this psalm, maybe in a different way you've ever looked at it before, is how David was being mistreated by this individual. Whether it was Saul or whoever it may be, this person was not treating David very kindly. Anybody in here ever been mistreated? <laughs> Sometimes it's almost on a daily basis. And, and, and I want you to think about this as we look at these three parts of this psalm that I've entitled, Save Me and Deliver Me. Now, we're not talking when we say, save me, deliver me, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking here about God delivering David and God delivering us when we in our lives are being mistreated. And I want you to see that it starts with this first thought. The first division deals with justification. David mentions in these first two verses about his trusting. And and the Bible mentions here where he says, O Lord, my God. Now those two, those words there, O Lord, my God, are really two titles that David joins together about his God. When you look at those, the wording there, where David says, O Lord, that's the Hebrew word Jehovah. David is is talking about the covenant God, the God of love. And so he says, O Lord, or Jehovah, 
And then he says, my God. That is actually the word Elohim. Now, Elohim is the creator God. So David is calling out to not only the covenant God, but the creator God. In other words, they're one in the same. The one that created this world is the one that has made the covenants with his people. And David is crying out to this creator God who is the God of all power. So look, David says, I know that you have the power, God, to do something about these people that are mistreating me, specifically this one Cush, but also I know that you're the one that can help me to understand and to love these people even though they're against me. I think it's a great lesson for all of us as David talks about his trusting, but then he, he deals with, in verse number three, his triumphing. Because although David had many enemies, and of course we've talked about Absalom and all those that have joined with Absalom and in, in standing against David, but specifically here in this psalm, it's this one individual that David is writing about here that stood out to him. And the Bible says in verse number three, look at it again. He says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands. In other words, this Cush, this individual actually had accused David of iniquity. Now that word iniquity, we, we understand, deals with sin, but here it's talking about injustices. It's talking about dealing with people in an unfair way. And David says, if I've done this, if I've been dishonest, God help me to understand that. By the way, I think every Christian, we should be honest, we should be above board when it comes to our dealings with other people. And David is crying out, and the Bible says in Leviticus 19.15, and here's some great instructions. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. David was saying, look, it's hard for me to be accused of being unfair and not treating people right, because in his heart, David's thinking, I haven't done that, uh, but I'm being accused of that. And I know you probably have had times in your life, I know I have, where people have accused me of something that was just not true. And that's what David is saying here is he's saying, I don't believe that, that I should be being, being accused of this. And so this Cush is accusing him not only of iniquity, but then he also in verse number four accuses David of rewarding evil he rewards evil to a man that actually was a man that was at peace with him. The word evil that the Bible has here in verse number four, if, if I have rewarded evil to him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. The word evil there is actually a word that, that, that deals with corruption, depravity. In other words, David is saying, look, I don't believe I've been this way. Now, to help you understand this, I want you to look in verse number four. The Bible says, again, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. See, David had a, a, a positive assurance about these charges. In other words, 
it was a great thing to David, and I, I hope that you're this way in your life too, that when we are living a life that's pleasing to God, that we can live a life that has, we have a clear conscience. David says, look, I, I don't believe these charges are accurate. And he was really saying, I'm innocent. You know, isn't it sad we're living in a day where instead of you're innocent until proven guilty, that you're guilty until you're proven innocent? And that's, that's what David's saying here. David's saying, this is trumped up charges against me. God, I am not guilty of these charges. Look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 26, 9. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Now, David, is, he, he makes a positive assurance. David says, look, I know that I haven't done this. But notice also he, he makes a positive assertion because at the end of verse number five is that word that we've seen before, the word selah. In other words, David says, look, I want to remind you, Lord, that you remember there were times where I could have taken the life of Saul, but I did not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, God knew that. But David was right. In other words, there are times where we could seek vengeance. We could take matters into our own hands. But David says, look, I did not do that. And so David is reminding the Lord of that. And the, and the Bible here talks about this matter of that David is being slandered. You know, it's, it's a very difficult thing. It's honestly one of the most difficult things to fight when somebody slanders you, when they slander your name. A man's good name and his reputation, it can be destroyed by lying, by deceitful tongue, by jealousy. There's a lot of things that, that can take a, a person's life and leave it in ruins. And this is what's going on in David's life. Look at Exodus 23 and verse 1. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Now, I, I, I can tell you this, most people, when it comes to having, when it comes to slander, I think the, the biggest example you can find in the Bible is the devil himself. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast out. He's, look, the devil is doing everything he can to lie about us, to deceive us, to, to say things about us that is just not true. And slandering is something that the devil always uses. But folks, listen, let us not be guilty of that, about talking about people in secret or behind their back, because that's how it happens. And what, what happens is as people start to say things, before long, if people start to hear it enough, they start to believe it. That poison will take its toll in their minds and in their hearts. And David realized this. And that's why when you look at this psalm, David knew this. He, he, he was positive. I'm not guilty of these charges that are, that are being uh, put against me. And so David, what is he doing? The only thing that you and I can do is what David was doing. He was bringing it to the Lord. And he was asking the Lord, God, vindicate me. In other words, justify me, because David knew that he could not justify himself.
and you and I can't either. Look at a great verse in Romans chapter 3. The Bible says, I declare and say at this time his righteousness that he, God, might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. See, the only way that we can be justified in front of those who are trying to slander us, those who are trying to make false accusations about us, is that God is the just and the justifier of all them that believe in Him. So David, when he starts here in this psalm, he begins talking about justification. Now, not again in the sense of salvation, but then he moves to the heart of this psalm. Secondly, he talks about judgment. Because what David wanted God to do was to deal with his enemies. Anybody ever else feel like that? <laughs> God, these people are opposing me falsely. It's that what's happening is I, I'm struggling in my life. Lord, can you just deal with them? Uh, can you just, you know, it's like, remember when Jesus was with his disciples and, and they were just gonna, they were just gonna go through and they were gonna weed out uh, and, and Jesus said, don't do that. Let the wheat grow up with the tares. And, and a lot of times that's what we want to do is we want to take matters into our own hands. And David says, look, I, uh, God, if, if, if that's the case, then would you deal with these enemies? And so David twice, again, he could have killed Saul, but he refused to strike the Lord's anointed. He always left that situation in God's hands. And I want you to see a couple aspects about this matter of David's heart and what he wanted. So notice, first of all, his desire to, for God to judge the sinner. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, arise, O Lord, notice this phrase, in thine anger. He says, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their sakes Therefore, return thou on high. Now, Psalm 94, verse 2 says it this way, Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. What's David's desire? What is he doing here? He's asking God to come to the courtroom, so to speak, in his anger. In other words, God knows all things. God knows what's going on in David's life and the enemies that are against him. And David had felt the injustices against him. And so David's desire was that God would judge the sinner. But it's interesting, secondly, is how he has a desire for God to judge the saint. Because not only God deal with the sinner, but look at this. And this is a bold move on David's part in verse 8. The Lord shall judge the people. But then notice the next couple words. Judge me, O Lord, according to thy righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. He was inviting God, yes, to deal with the sinner. But then he's asking God to turn his eyes on him, to look at him, to see if there's any uh, injustice, if there's something in his life that ought not to be there, Psalm 35, 24, judge me, O Lord my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. What does the Bible say to us? Listen to these, these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me 
and know my thoughts, and if there be any wicked way in me. That was the prayer of the psalmist. Sometimes we wonder, and, and maybe this was David, maybe it's you right now. Sometimes we wonder, why doesn't God just all of a sudden start judging this world? Why does God let things go on? Why, why do we see the wicked triumphing in this world? And, and look, it's, it's a great trial for godly people to see the injustices, just like David in his heart was struggling. Look, I know I haven't done this. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Can I say it this way, that the eye of faith, and the Bible tells us we need to be men and women of faith, the eye of faith sees that since God is God and that since He is holy and He is righteous, then what God must be doing, and that we have to have the eye of faith to see this, we see all the wickedness abounding. Why isn't God doing something? The eye of faith understands that God is storing up His wrath. There will come a day. Now, again, that's not up to us, but there will be times when God's anger and God's wrath. Here's a great example. Read the book of Revelation. The bowls and the vials and all that's going to be poured out upon this earth. Hey, listen, that doesn't happen every day in this country, but there's going to come a day when that's going to happen, when God's judgment will be poured out upon this earth. But can I remind you that as God may be withholding his anger, and that God may be withholding His wrath, that God's timetable is not the same as ours. You know, if it was up to us, we'd handle it differently, wouldn't we? But guess what? We're not God. And as Brother Carl led us in that song, this isn't our world, this is our Father's world. And what God chooses to do is His prerogative. And we may not understand it, but here's what I want you to think about is the world was wicked, and there was much injustice going on. You think about this, a lot of times, again, as I'm reading and studying my Bible, there was much in regards to this world and world history long before God sent forth His Son into this world. I'm talking thousands and thousands of years of atrocities, injustices, all kinds of things that happen. You read the history books, and by the way, the history books only contain a, a small portion of what was really happening. And you can think to yourself, why did God let that go on for so long? I don't know. Just like David didn't understand it in this psalm, just like you don't understand what's going on in your life today, but look at here, there was a time that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son into this world. God says to, to His Son, it's time for you to go, Jesus. It's time for you to leave heaven and go to this world. And, and the Bible tells us that David had a desire, and his desire was, God, deal with mine enemies. Deal with the sinner, but deal with me also. Interesting how he prays that. But I want you to see, secondly, David's defense. Because when David's talking about judgment... He then talks about how God will rise up. And I want you to see this because he explains how God's judgment works 
in principle. Look at verse number 9. Here's how he explains it. In principle. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous, righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. So David here is explaining that God's judgment works in principle, that the punishment of the wicked many times will spring out of their own misdeeds. Uh, You remember in the Bible where Haman decided that he was going to build some gallows for Mordecai? Do you remember who used those gallows? Haman did. He swung from the very own gallows that he had made. How about Jacob? You remember Jacob in his life, how that Jacob cheated his father and his brother? But do you remember that he got cheated by his father-in-law and how, how his life, or by his uncle? Because the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reapeth. You think about in our lives, David says, look, God's judgment, it works in principle, that it will turn back on them. And then he explains how God's judgment works in practice. Look at verse 11. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked. Look here, some of you that struggle with the wickedness in the world day in and day out, look at those words. God is angry with the wicked. What's those next two words? Every day. Look at verse 12. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. Uh, he hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows against the persecutors. So he's, he's talking here about that as wickedness is flourishing. Can I remind you, God is not dead. God's not asleep. God knows what's going on. As a matter of fact, here's what it says. He's making ready the very instruments that he's going to use to strike down wickedness. Look at Psalm 64, 7. God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. Deuteronomy 32. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Folks, listen, God is angry with the wicked every day. It's something that God understands. And that phrase there that says he's angry with the wicked every day, here's what it literally means. It means to foam at the mouth. God is that angry with the wicked every day. But you know the one thing that I love about our God is even though he's angry with the wicked every day, that because he is not pouring out his wrath and his anger, What does that tell you? Our God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And because of that, God, and this goes right along with the Bible, I think it goes hand in hand. God would rather a sinner be saved than for that person to to spend the rest of their life in the lake of fire. The Bible says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, that's a verse that 
we have, David didn't have that verse in his day. And David had to try to understand. Look, David's desire was, God, get rid of these enemies of mine. And David gave his defense. He says, look, there will come a time where God will rise up against them. But then I want you to notice, thirdly, David's discernment. Because David concludes his discussion of God's anger with sin. And he does it in a way that's kind of unique. He uses three illustrations to get this across. And I want you to see, it helps us understand how God sometimes will allow things to happen. And when he allows those things to happen, it eventually will bring its own consequences. You familiar with uh, the verse in the Bible, in the book of Romans, for the wages of sin is what? Death. There's a price tag. You're always going to pay for that sin. So I want you to notice these three illustrations, kind of neat illustrations. Look at verse 14. Here's the first illustration when he talks, David's using discernment because God says, look, I'll handle it, David. But look at this first one in verse 14. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. Now, do you notice there what he's, what he's describing? He's, his first illustration is that the, the very process of sin is like a birth. Look at the words again. He used the word travaileth. He used the word conceived in that verse. The example there is like a, a pregnant woman, a woman with child, the, the sinner, just like a pregnant woman, uh, that woman becomes great with child. You know, uh, our daughter's uh, about, uh, what is she, about seven months, seven and a half months now with uh, our twin grandsons. And, uh, and, and she's been taking pictures and sending us pictures. And I've been telling her, I said, man, she looks pretty good. She looks way better than I do. And I, I'm not pregnant with two boys, you know. But, uh, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, everybody understands that as that child goes into that second and third trimester, she becomes more and more, they say, great with child. Well, the illustration here about God dealing with sin is just like that pregnant woman is that a sinner actually conceives wickedness. But instead of it being in the womb, it's in their heart. And that wickedness continues to grow just like a child would grow until that person, that wicked person, is so full of it that eventually it's, it's got to come out, you know? It's like that woman that goes in to have a baby, and she's like, just get this thing out of me, you know? And I, I'm glad I'm not a woman, I can tell you that. But, but listen, you know what? The, the Bible talks about birth pangs, the travail. The, you, know, it, it, you know, literally, women go down into the jaws of death to deliver children. You think about the illustration here. He's, talking, he's making the illustration that sin is the same way. That sin has a lot of pain that it brings in our lives. And we understand this. And so David is, is saying, look, God allows sometimes uh, sin to work out. He, David uses the word mischief. The word mischief is the same word that we would use as perverseness. Isaiah said, none calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. You know, I was just thinking again about Satan and how Satan loves to sow discord and how 
you know, we allow sin in our lives. He's the father of lies, the Bible tells us. And I was thinking about this illustration about the sin and the process, how it's like a birth. And I thought this, that Satan knows in, in the lives of men and women, Satan knows how to impregnate this innate perverseness, this mischief into the fallen nature of man with his own evil spirit. You know, you remember reading about Judas Iscariot, how Satan had put that in his heart to actually go against the Son of God. It's a man that spent time with the Lord. And, and, and again, this wickedness, it grows. And what David is saying is about this Cush, the Benjaminite, is he's saying just like a, a woman that, that has a child, that child continues to grow, that this Cush it, it, there's, it's, there's so much hatred and mischief and, and wickedness in this person, and it's just grown and grown and grown. And, it, you know, some people commented, said, maybe it was hatred, maybe it was jealousy. We all know that Saul was jealous of David, you know. He's slain his thousands, but he's slain his tens of thousands. There was a lot of jealousy, and maybe it was malice, maybe it was being a coward, I don't know. But I know this, that, it, you know, whoever this Cush was... He couldn't hold it in any longer. And it was coming forth like a child would in, in the life of a mother. This sin was coming forth in lies about David. And so the first illustration is how sin in its process is like a birth. But the second illustration, look at verse 15. He says, he made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. Now here's the illustration is in this one is that sin in its plan is like a bait. Sin is like a bait. Uh, Brother Glenn back here uh, took me, uh, we went over to his house and Glenn had some shiners and he was trying to show me how to fish with these things, you know. And I was just amazed. You put these little fish, you hook them in the back, you let them swim around out there. There, You know, it was a good thing there wasn't some animal activist group there or whatever, but we were out there trying to catch fish and I mean these big old fish are, you know, and you've got to use the right bait. And that's what he's talking about here is in this illustration, how sin can be something that's cold-blooded, it's calculating. As a matter of fact, it's many times premeditated wickedness. And he gives a picture here of a man who actually is premeditating, trying to think about the best way that he can ruin this man's life, the best way that he can actually uh, uh, revile this person. And then not only did he think about it, but he actually executes the plan that he premeditated. And David sees that such people often get caught in their own plot. Look what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. See, God never fails to take a person in their own snares. You see, we, a lot of times we'll think, God, why won't you judge these people? Now, again, we, we are not God. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. God, why won't you do something? But look what the Bible says in Esther 7.10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. But Job said, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Psalm 9:15. The heathen are sunk down in the pit 
that they made in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. You know, look, they've fallen into the very ditch that they dug themselves. And a lot of times we think, God, why aren't you doing something? Again, God, he knows all these things. And he gives the illustration here that, that sin and its plan is like a bait. But look at the third illustration in verse 16, because he helps us understand that sin and its punishment is kind of like, anybody in here ever thrown a boomerang? I've tried to throw one a couple times. They never work for me. I've thrown them out. They never come back. But supposedly, if you do it right, uh, they really do come back is what they say. But look what it says in verse 16. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. Remember in the Old Testament, remember Ahab and Jezebel? Remember how Ahab, King Ahab, wanted the vineyard of Naboth? And Naboth didn't want to give it to him? Remember what Ahab did? He killed Naboth for that vineyard. And the Bible says, again, this is talking about the punishment. Remember, again, this is going to come back on Ahab like a boomerang. The Bible says in 1 Kings 22, One washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord which he spake. You know, I read some stuff this afternoon about Australian hunters, skilled hunters. They'll take that boomerang and they'll actually throw it while they're hunting. They'll use it to hunt with. And if they miss their target, listen now, if they miss their target, it'll return back to them. And that's what, that's what this is saying is that it will come back. A person can throw their wickedness, this cush, or whoever it is at your job, or whoever you run into in life, they can throw their wickedness at you, but they better be careful because if it doesn't hit its intended target, it's going to come back on them, just like that boomerang would. Look at Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It'll come back on you. See, God will watch over the wickedness until it finally comes home to punish the one who threw it. See, we don't have to worry about it because God knows what's going on, which is how he ends this psalm in verse 17. Look at this third thought is jubilation. See, he talked about God justify me before these people, and he talked about, God, will you judge these people? But then he ends with jubilation in verse 17. In spite of all that was going on, David says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. With all of the evil, here's the truth, God is still in control. God's still in control. Proverbs 20, 21 and verse 9, chapter 19, there are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Abraham in his day, when he was out fighting against the kings of, of the east, Abraham came back home, and the Bible says he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into my hand. And just like Abraham, David and you and I, listen, we can be like David. We can, David says, look, here's this psalm. Remember what the word psalm means? Anybody remember? Psalm. David says, yes, 
mine enemies against me. And he says, Lord, I really wish you'd deal with the enemy. I wish you'd judge them. But he says, God, I'm going to leave that in your hands. But David literally wrote these words and handed them to the musician and said, let's sing about this. That's what he's saying. He says, since God's still on the throne and God's in control, David was saying, look, let's, let's sing this song because it's a song of salvation and it's a song of deliverance. You know, I think about this psalm and I think about this matter of judgment and so often that's what we want to do is we want to judge people instead of allowing God to do His work. And many times we don't understand it. All right, let's pray tonight. Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for the illustration we have in the life of David. And I'm sure that even in our study tonight, we might pass over very lightly some of the, some of the difficulties that David was dealing with. Maybe it was more than this one individual that bears the name and the title, Cush. It could have been more than him. But certainly it was a, a reality in his life. And I, I guarantee you there are some, even myself, Lord, that have had many that have, that have stood against us, that have said things about us that are just honestly not true. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the right desires, Lord, to ask you to work as only you will. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to always be thankful because the fact that we are your child and that you are ultimately in control. And Lord, we thank you that this is your world, that we're a part of your world. And help us to see what our role is and help us to fulfill our purpose. In Jesus' name we pray.